I think comedy in the past has been a little sloppy. A lot of times comedians want to be like, oh, whatever, it's just words. But I'm like, we are scientists with words. Like, we choose a particular word to elicit a reaction, whether it's, like, anticipation, suspense, a la- laughter. So to say it's just words, it's, like, not actually factual. Like, words mean a lot in our business. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I'm Tina Brown and you're listening to TBD. If you're not already a fan of comedian Phoebe Robinson, here's a little advice. You can either immediately jump on her bandwagon or be run over by it. Now, what about dreadlocks? Let's take a look. Uh, This is the dreadlocks look. And tell us about that look. Yeah, the dreadlocks is like when I'm feeling like really cool and like very powerful. Like, that's my look that kind of says I go to Coachella and tell all the white people to take Native American headdresses off their head. Like, I'm very, (laughs) I'm just policing everything. I'm one of those guys, yeah. yeah. Over the past five years, Robinson has become American comedy royalty, an impressive feat in an industry that isn't exactly welcoming to women, let alone women of color. The Ohio native first made her name as a writer on MTV's Girl Code and then on Broad City, before landing her breakout podcast as co-host of Two Dope Queens, along with former Daily Show correspondent Jessica Williams. That led to a 2016 New York Times bestseller, the wicked essay collection, You Can't Touch My Hair and Other Things I Still Have to Explain, and a spin-off podcast, So Many White Guys, which, as the title implies, is a giant middle finger to the overrepresentation of white male comedians. Last year, Robinson published her hilarious sophomore essay collection, Everything's Trash But It's Okay, which took on such taboo topics as Why Being a Woman is Ridic and Why Meeting Bono Twice Was My Reparations. And she's now in the middle of her outrageous 2019 comedy tour, Sorry, Harriet Tubman, which proves that she has no intention of remaining underground ever again. Phoebe Robinson, welcome to TBD. Hi. <laughs> so you are just back from interviewing Michelle Obama. Yeah. Tell me what that's like. What happens when you interview Michelle Obama in, on these tours? It's been, I will say, I've been very lucky that she's asked me to do it five times, which is like beyond, let's super pinch me. But I think what's so fascinating about it is like I've moderated stuff before but she's selling out like arena so it's like 15,000 people are showing up to, to see her talk about a book which just does not happen ever um, but it's it's really cool it's just like it, it almost feels like people aren't there in a way because she's so connected it's like 90 minute conversation you talk about the book you talk about her life and she's so smart she's so funny so it really sort of feels like you're not really working you're just kind of hanging out with a girlfriend without like you know a mimosa so have hand. you got this really kind of choreographed now or is this genuinely is this a spontaneous conversation or do you kind of know the roadmap and it's just a kind of prearranged jam um i try to have different questions for each each time i interview her because i don't want her to get bored by it um and i'll run it by her team and i'll be like okay we like these questions just make sure you sort of focus on like you know this issue or that issue and then we just sort of go from there and just have fun together so it's really it's probably like 
I don't know, probably one of the coolest things I've ever done uh, in was, my life, will ever do. <laughs> it's kind of an epic book tour. I mean, yeah. this is a book that sold more books, I think, than more memoirs than anybody ever has in history. I know. Barack has got a lot to, to do to catch I up to her. I was thinking that. That's going to be a tense moment when his yeah, book comes out. Exactly. So I'd love to just start a bit at the beginning with you, Phoebe. When did you first know that you were funny and, and, uh, and kind of realize that you have a gift and you could do this for a living? Um, I mean, I was always kind of like the funny kid in school. Like, I wasn't necessarily cool. I just, like, watched a lot of movies and TV shows. Like, I loved, like, um, I loved, like, news radio and living color. Just, like, a lot of comedy sketch stuff. But I thought, so I wanted to move to New York to write, like, serious films. Like, I thought I was going to be, like, a person who wrote, like, serious dramas. And I was, like, going to win an Oscar for doing that. And I never really wanted to do comedy. And then I did, um improv at my college and I was like oh this is super fun and then when I graduated I was like I'm gonna work at a film company work my way up from like receptionist to wherever um so I started working at New Line Cinema and then I, I went over to Picture House and was an executive assistant so this was like when I was 23 and my good college friend Lindsay she was like I want to do stand-up and I never really watched stand-up I wasn't particularly a fan of it like I knew Chris Rock and Ellen but I never like investigated it. And she was like, let's just take this eight week class at Caroline's. It'll be super fun. I was like, okay, I'll just take this dumb class and never think about it again. And then I fell in love with it. Like the first time we, our first class, we had to be like in this little tiny room. It felt like they just had like an AA meeting. It was like a tiny little room with like chairs just sitting around. I think we had to write like one minute of material, which was terrifying to me. I'm like, I've never written a joke before. And I got like a laugh and I was like, this feels really cool. Hmm, maybe I should investigate this further. You've also said, though, that stand-up can feel incredibly lonely. And it's mm-hmm. also kind of a brutal business. I mean, to me, nothing could be more terrifying than yeah. the sort of exposure <laughs> of standing up there and having to be funny. Mm-hmm. Why did you want to do it? I mean, what was the, the compulsion to kind of get this out of your system and do it? Yeah, I think I'm an extroverted introvert so I'm much more quiet off stage I, I'm still funny but I'm not like attention you're not, seeking you're not extrovert yeah. yeah and then when I'm on stage and then like I want the attention blah 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 but when I'm off stage I don't and I, I think that like stand up is you know you write the jokes you perform it you edit it so you really have this sense of control I do like to control things I'm a little type A that way and it takes elements of improv, which is like there's that danger element of like you don't know what you're going to say in the moment. You kind of know more so with stand-up. But the danger is like trying to see if you vibe with this audience and to make someone just involuntarily laugh. based That's off gratifying. Of, yeah, it's really cool. So I, I just have always loved that. Of course, you weren't a hit immediately, right? I mean, you had a very tough 10 years, I gather, from, you, from yeah. your book. I mean, you're nearly evicted from your apartment. Yeah. I mean, what kept you going? Because most people, I think, would give that a go and then think, God, I, I'm never going to make a living out of this. I mean, 10 years yeah. is a long time. It's a long time. And I definitely thought about quitting because I was, you I think know, only Meghan Markle has gone that long. Yeah. Break. <laughs> it is very sort of when you're... You're not to blame social media, but you're on Facebook and you see, you know, your friends back home and they're buying houses and they're able to like go on vacation or they're able to just like have a steady job and freelance blogging and doing stand up that's not steady. Um, And so I was sort of feeling like, am I being crazy? Is this sort of ridiculous that I'm pursuing this? And my parents, to their credit, really just sort of told me, like, if you want this, you're going to have to be 
as invested when it's not going well as when it hopefully goes well one day. And I think that's And they were not of, even from show business, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they were just sort of like nothing comes easy and like mostly people that you admire, like you only see when they're at the mountaintop right. and not all the work that goes mm-hmm. into it. And they're like, you're just going to have to just hunker down and really just not expect success to be on your timetable. Um, you do some hilarious riffs on your book, which I thoroughly enjoyed, <laughs> the new one. Thank you. <clears throat> on fashion stylists who try to squeeze you into yeah. clothes. <laughs> <laughs> that you're never, never going to fit and all the humiliation goes with it. And I just was thinking, what a weird thing American women have to experience about size. I mean, on the one hand, all the sort of propaganda is about being stick thin. On the mm-hmm. other hand, we're told you cannot fat shame. Everybody has to now embrace people who are heavy. Yeah. I mean, how do you explain all this torture that we all feel about bodies. Yeah, it's almost like maybe a a tipping point where we do have body positivity and body inclusivity, which is great. But now we need, I think we need designers to really think about it in a real everyday person sort of way, because there are still like so many designers that I can't fit into. So I I think women are just really sort of made to feel like we're the problem, that our bodies are inherently problematic. And so we have to diet and we have to lose weight in order to wear clothes, which so doesn't make sense. So where are you now sense. on the spectrum? How much torture do you go through now? I, I think I'm still in a place like when I do photo shoots, I always bring clothes with me. I did a shoot for Elle magazine and it was with Jessica when we were promoting Two Dope Queens. And, you know, Jessica and I are a size two. I don't know her specific size, but I, you know, hover around a size 10. Sometimes I'm an eight. And I could just tell the stuff that fit was just so kind of frumpy and not cool and not fashion forward (laughs) and I was like well I found these really cool clothes that fit me and they feel sort of like chic and so I just ended up wearing my own clothes so there's that but I think I've just been very adamant about like you're not going to make me feel bad like if I tell you I'm a size 10 and then you bring a size 6 and be like oh you can fit into this I'm going to be like I cannot. I need you to really do your job because right. I showed up and did my job and gave you my measurements. So You refuse to, to be intimidated by the size sixes. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. 
Um, we've heard so much about how hard it is for women in comedy, but it is much harder for women of color, mm-hmm. it seems to me, from reading your book. I mean, what has been your experience with that? I think it's been up and down. I think it's been more up once I decided that I was going to sort of take the reins a little bit. And I think that's how Jessica and I created Two Dope Queens is that she started doing improv in L.A. And I was doing improv in New York. And every time she was like on a team, she was the only person of color on the team. And, you know, whenever I did improv, I was usually the only person of color on the team. And we're just like, well, we see so many amazing people who are super funny and that aren't necessarily being pushed into right. improv or being pushed into stand-up. they're just not networked in the same way. They're not networked, you know. Improv <laughs> classes are expensive. Stand-up classes are expensive, you know. I think my class at Caroline's was $400, maybe three-something, which is nice. But if you are a working person in your 20s, you're trying to deal with student debt, can you really take a bunch of improv classes and work your way up? That's a lot of money to ask of someone. And so Jessica and I were like, we just want to do something where it's not rooted in how much money you have. And it's just like, if you're truly funny. And that's how we created Two Dope Queens. And then we... So you really wanted to create a sort of cultural yeah. ambience for those performers. Yeah. Yeah. And just be like, there's so many people like Michelle Buteau, Baron Vaughn, who now has a show on Comedy Central, Rory Scovel, who now has a show on Comedy Central. Um, just a lot of brilliant, brilliant, funny people. Solomon Giorgio is now writing on Shrill. Like just a lot of amazing people who, that we thought were incredible and that might not always get the same opportunities just because they're not like, you know, straight white guys. Or so are you, are you interested in doing sort of producing now? Because you're yes. really helping to foster a comedy stable. Yeah, I just don't want to be in it by myself. That's like not fun. And I'm always like, there's so many people who just make me laugh so hard. How can I not want to share the wealth, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, who, who have yeah. been the people who've been your career accelerators? I mean, that you feel sort of believed in you and gave you those chances you know WNYC you know when Jess and I approached them about two dope queens and this was 2015 I believe they'd never really done a comedy variety show that's like hasn't really been a thing that's been done in the podcasting world and I think they like they liked us in the meeting they're like oh they're really funny we're gonna go to a show and I think they really saw and got what Jessica and I have and like our special sort of chemistry Let's listen to some of that material. It's it's two levels. On the first level, it's like female strippers, and the second level is male strippers. How awesome. And it, which is great, but they're just very different energy. How, how so? Like, the one with the male strippers, like, it was like, everyone's like, having a great time, and it was like, fun. And then, like, the one with the female strippers, it was like, just guys by themselves like right it's a private experience right and they were like all sad (laughs) and it was like it was like it was beyond like dad bod it was like it was like i just ate so much lean cuisine until it was no longer lean Uh anymore Uh, (laughs) downstairs was tv dinner upstairs was magic mike yeah and so like all the female strippers were just kind of like they were kind of standing like they were like waiting for like an MTA announcement. Like you, do you mean like they were waiting to get engaged with a man? Yeah, because there would just be chicks like walking around, like none of the guys looking at them. I'm like, what? Why are you here? It was so weird. And then upstairs, it was like Magic Mike. So it started off kind of slow because we got there at like eight, which I guess is like really early. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> 
But we're all in our thirties. That's 30s. seven a.m. stripper time. Yeah, we're all in our thirties, so we're like, yeah, uh-huh. we gotta get in. We have dinner at seven. Uh-huh. <laughs> Strippers at eight. It's okay. That's what happens in your thirties. That happens in your thirties. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. So look forward to that. Oh, okay. Um, How scripted out is that show between you? Jessica and I, usually we will just sort of be like, here are five things that happened to me. Here are five things that happened to her. And we'll sort of be like, sometimes you won't tell each other what happened. Like when she met J.K. Rowling and I knew that was going to happen. I like texted her right after. She's like, I'm not going to talk to you about it until we're recording. (laughs) So it's good that we keep that element of surprise together. Um, But we try to not write too much. You sort of just want to have topics and ideas. And of course, when we, we brought the show to HBO... For the TV, you have to, like, write things out a little bit more so you might have, like, the beats to, like, a story just so we know where to jump in. But we really want to have it be a loose conversation between girlfriends. I mean, most of your comedy is, is on that kind of best friend mm-hmm. basis. Um, what is it about the dynamic of a kind of a best friend that works for you so well, do you think? I think I just really like having a partner in crime and someone you can just sort of, like, play off with, especially if the person has different energy than you. And I think Jessica has different energy than me. I think I'm a little bit sillier than her. Maybe it goes back to starting out improv. You get to sort of let each other shine by your playing to each other's strengths. Well, one of the things that's kind of been very explosive for the comedy world has been the Me Too movement, right? And, uh, of course, you know, we had the whole conviction of Bill Cosby, the banishment of Louis C.K. What are your feelings about Louis now? I mean, does he need to just go away? Or is it okay that he returns to stand-up? I mean, like, I don't think he or necessarily people that defend him really understand the repercussions of what he did because it's not just that like oh he you know got like a tv show and made some women feel bad about themselves it's that you know people on his team were allegedly i I don't want to say for a fact because i wasn't there but were blocking other women that he harassed from having fruitful careers and i was like that's just that's a lot of blowback to just sort of like walk away from and then come back and be like oh i'm gonna be on stage again as if nothing happened and so For me, I think I would feel differently about him if he was actively trying to help those women or trying to provide a platform for women in comedy as opposed to just coming back and being like, I'm just going to do the same thing I was doing before. It just doesn't feel authentic to me. You said actually in January that you were invited to perform at a comedy club Mm -hmm. in the same lineup as a male comedian accused of rape, which Mm -hmm. didn't amuse you very much. I mean, tell me about that and how you handled it. Comedy Central, I'm not Comedy Central, but Comedy Central is great. But comedy in general does not have an HR. There is, you know, it's a workplace, but there's no one there really sort of policing what goes on. And so you show up on a show and then you are on the same lineup as people who have done inappropriate things. And I think everyone has to make their own sort of choice. But for me, I just feel like if I'm going to be outspoken about you know, male comedians um, and their abuse in the workplace, that for me, it doesn't feel right for me to then perform at the same shows as them. We had a a conversation at our Women in the World Summit a couple of weeks back Mm -hmm. uh, with some really great comedians, Judy Gold, Wanda Sykes, Carmen Esposito, which we call You Can't Take a Joke. And it was really all about that subject, actually, that, you know, this is a very tricky time 
when people are sort of policing what is funny and what isn't funny, mm. and if you stop, step on the wrong side of it, you do get killed. I mean, you said there are jokes today that you wouldn't make, like jokes about slavery, but mm-hmm. you know, hasn't comedy always been edgy? Are there now topics that are just off limits? Yeah, I think comedy has always been edgy, and I think it will continue to be edgy. I think comedy in the past has been a little sloppy in terms of there is some level I think you just need to be respectful and mindful of the things that you say. And I think a lot of times comedians want to be like, oh, whatever, it's just words. But I'm like, we are scientists with words. Like we choose a particular word to elicit a a reaction, whether it's like anticipation, suspense, laughter. So to say it's just words, it's like not actually factual like words mean a lot in our business so I I think comedy can still be edgy I think you just have to be a little bit smarter and I think it's sort of reflective of society and that like society we're a little bit behind and then you you know things you joked about and in conversation at work you might not do that 10 years from now do you feel at all muzzled yourself I don't I mean I think anything you wouldn't want to talk about on stage I don't think so. I think I don't want to, like, punch down or put anyone down. Just be like, you're an idiot. You're the... Like, I don't want to do that. I think political humor, I'm not... I'm not anti it. I just don't know what I could add to it. I think there's so much of it. And sometimes you just wind up sort of preaching to the choir. And it's not... Your message isn't really going outside of that. Yeah, yeah. You hear that? Your dog knows. Spring is coming sooner than you think. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas are an itchy nuisance and can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMed's pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best flea and tick products for your pet. PetMeds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com promo code PODCAST for 40% off your first auto ship order. Yeah. When you're sort of thinking about your material, mm-hmm. I mean, where do the ideas come from? And then you start thinking... I can break this down into into being comedy material for me. Yeah, I think I might just start with like, oh, that was like a funny thing that happened. And so I'm I'm working on this joke about my boyfriend and I moving in together and we had a conversation about it. And I because he has like such a smooth British accent, I truly did not realize we were moving in together. Like by the end of the conversation, I was like, oh, this is like, this is how colonialism happened. Like you're just sort of duped into it. And so I'm like, oh, I think that's a funny idea. So let me try and like build from there. But I I think I either try to take things from my life that's happened to me or something that I observe. And I'm like, oh, I think there's something interesting here. I love the fact that he is British and he comes from Bournemouth. Yeah. I mean, Bournemouth is such an old lady town. I know. <laughs> That's what he says. <laughs> it's yeah. such an old lady town. I mean, it's, you know, you used to go and see your grandmother there and then you'd all sit and sort of eat boiled sweets on the front, you know, yeah. and there were all these old old people. How do you and Bournemouth get along? It was good. I actually got to go there over Christmas and meet his family. And it, it's just a very... <laughs> 
a little more sleepy. It's a little yeah. more quiet. And we're there for eight days, which eight might have... Eight days? I know that might... My God, I don't I know, know how you survived eight hours in Bournemouth. I've got to be honest. I mean, I have no idea what you could have been doing every night. That's why I told him, he was like, I realized eight days was too long. But, you know, <laughs> it's my family. I see them once a year. Um, Where did you meet each other? We met at a, a U2 concert because he's a tour manager for the Lumineers. And they were opening for U2 on the Joshua Tree Tour. And so we just met. And um, it wasn't love at first sight, I will admit. But we just, like, eventually hit it off, and we just have been together ever since. In your own relationship, I mean, what have you learned from him? I mean, what has he had to tell you about the way he acts as a Brit? You know, like, what what did you not get about it, and what did he not get about you? Yeah, so he his big thing when we first started dating, he was like, you're always yelling at me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm not yelling. Like, this is, like, my normal voice. He was like... I just think Americans are very loud and like everything is very impassive. He's like, it just feels like you're screaming at me. And I'm like, oh no, we're just passionate. And so he had to learn like, okay, she's not mad. She's just like really excited about what she's talking about. And for him, in the beginning, I'd be like, you're being condescending to me. And he was like, this is just my voice. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay, got it. Um, So we just had like sort of like communication things. Um, I do think that he's more reserved and I'm a little more um, expressive but I also think that that is fine I think we meet each other in the middle how good are you at business I mean have you had any issues with getting paid what you should be paid I mean we've seen such a huge amount of pay equity Mm -hmm. angst yeah how have you been in that department have you yeah I paid what you deserve I think so. I'm very adamant about like what I think my skill set is. One of the things I am grateful about the fact that it's taking me so long to kind of get to where I am is that I've learned how to write. I've learned how to edit. I've learned how to produce. So like when I walk into a room and I want to pitch a project or something that I, I want to be involved in, whether it's like Two Dope Queens or So Many White Guys or a TV show that I want to do, it's like it's not just me doing work in front of the camera. It's me doing work behind the camera and I should be paid accordingly. And I think... You know, I try to leave emotion out of it. I just go, this is what I'm worth. I won't settle for less than that. Right. You've got your new tour. Sorry, Harriet Tubman. Um, (laughs) What are you apologizing for? (laughs) You know, Harriet was amazing. You know, freedom fighter, trailblazer. And, you know, I'm kind of lazy. You know, I'm always like Netflixing and chilling. And, you know, I say ridiculous things sometimes. So I'm like, this is like this great person and I'm not quite there um so sorry about that but here are the things that i want to talk about it's so sort of like me poking fun at myself um and uh, and i think people what i've been working on so far i think people have been enjoying well i mean i know you're developing an amazon series so tell me about that and about what else you know you're actually working on next i mean are you doing more movies or a, a late night talk show or what are you what are you actually what's imminently yeah in your hopper as it were yeah so i am shopping around an idea for a show um, sorry, Harriet Tubman. I'm trying to put it together an hour. Um, Is that but, just you alone? Yeah, just me doing an hour stand-up. I want to do a special. Um, so I'm really excited. I'm doing a lot of shows in the States. I think the tour starts officially in June. And then I'm going to be doing Edinburgh for two weeks in August. That is so fun. Yeah. Um, and then I've been doing like a little more voiceover stuff. Like I've been doing like some characters on BoJack Horseman, which has been fun. So I think I want to kind of 
do an animated show. Oh. Um, because it's just it's so fun to just be in a, a VO booth and you just get to like goof around and make crazy voices. So I really like that. Um, but yeah, I have some stuff in the works that I can't talk about yet, but I'm really excited about. Okay, thank you very much for joining me on TBD. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Phoebe Robinson. Thank you, Tina. You've been listening to TBD with me, Tina Brown, brought to you by Wondery. You can subscribe to TBD on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or keep up with us however you listen to podcasts. And please don't keep TBD all to yourself. Tweet about it, Instagram it, or, you know, try having an actual conversation with a real person. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That's a great way to spread the word. TBD is produced by Tina Brown, Kathleen Russo, Julie Subrin, Karen Compton, Justine Giannino, and Michael Solomon. Original theme music is composed by Forrest Gray. Come back next time for more smart people on TBD. TBD.